everybody welcome to the 196th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin quarantined here in rip city and i got my man sage quarantined in beaverton and yo i don't know about you but people are going wild in my complex bro like revving their engines for like 20 minutes fucking playing loud club music in the parking lot Yep, people are people are people are wild, but I'm you here. don't live in a bad spot either. It's no, just regular Beaverton. Yeah, it's just regular ass Beaverton, man. But like, I'll wake up at like, I'll be chilling, and at like 10 a.m., I just hear loud club music, and I'm just like, "What the fuck?" And I look <laughs> outside, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "Damn, bro." <laughs> but there's always this one wonderful lady that like yells out of her window turn that shit down and i'm like oh you're you're a goddess but <laughs> we we were out here man it's it's i know it, we have people on our street riding dirt bikes and four-wheelers i'm like this is not the country this is the city of portland come on i i know it's quarantine and we're trying to stay home but that doesn't mean the rules don't apply don't be morons people man oh what have you been doing to uh, stay close to the sport that we love? Have you been into the whole Blazers playing, you know, popular games from the past? Yeah, I try to tune in as much as possible. Olga and I actually have just finished rewatching all of the Oklahoma City series and all of the Denver series from last year with that NBA League Pass uh, free preview. So anytime those games were on, we didn't watch them on NBC Sports northwest because we had already we had our own routine going but you know a lot of the games i made sure to watch uh the 92 finals against Mm -hmm. the bulls the 92 western conference finals uh on wednesday which was against the jazz uh, the 90 finals against the pistons uh 2000 the scotty pippen game winner against the jazz any of those type of games i've been trying to watch um i tried to actually watch dame's 61 point game and I, I turned it off at, at, before it even got to halftime. Like, one, it, it was too recent. Like, it just happened in January. Yeah, the recency. And two, this season is so depressing. Like, I want nothing to do with it. Like, I, I know Dame goes for 61, but I, like, I saw the lineup we were trotting out there. And it was just like, this season, for me, was one of the toughest to deal with because you have the expectations of – last season's Western Conference Finals appearance, and then everything just went wrong. I know Dame had an incredible 10-game stretch, but I still couldn't force myself to watch. Like, it just wasn't enjoyable. Like The negatives outweighed the positives for me on that one, and I couldn't, I couldn't get through that one. So for anyone that I've seen like as, a, as doing this podcast, it's just like I have my memories of it. I don't... I don't I don't have a interest in watching it, but the ones that are like retro, I make a point in watching. It's just the timely ones, the ones from last year. It's like we have our own memories of it. I remember the emotions of it. I don't really want to be reminded of it, but I know other people do. So I get it. It's just, I don't, I'll, I'll uh, 
make a point of not really caring about those games, but the retro ones I do. Uh, I've been playing a lot of NBA 2K, and we've been doing the 5v5 ranked mode, and I've been studying the four-out scheme that Jay Wright runs in Villanova just because uh, our half-court offense is me, so we need to create motion off of something. So I've been studying that like nobody's business. So like the slots, the wings, the post movement, it's like, okay, I get this. This is kind of this. There's some warriors scheme that I see in it and some blazer scheme from the J Wright uh, system from Villanova. And I feel like a humongous nerd looking at you have, you haven't watched any of last season, the last season being our Western conference finals years. Uh, I watched like a quarter and I was like, I don't need this for me. Oh, okay. See, to me, that's been like a saving grace, just knowing how good we really were, like rewatching all of those games. If we had a healthy Nurkic, I think we're winning the championship. That's how good we were. Are they doing his five by five in a yeah. few days versus the Nets? I mean, if if we yeah, just I going back and watching those games in even more detail, one, I, I don't think we give Ennis Cantor uh, enough credit. He played Steven Adams even. Very tough. Yeah, very he tough. He was a monster on the boards. Like, Blazer fans love Ed Davis. He was Ed Davis plus a couple of levels, just like... Offensively, too, yeah. Yeah, we don't win that series without Cantor. I mean, he kept so many possessions alive. Like, we were such a dominant rebounding team. And then, obviously... He goes and separates his shoulder. So he's playing on one shoulder. And then Ramadan happens and he's celebrating that, which takes him away from food and water from basically from sun sunset to sunrise or sunrise to sunset. And so he's mentally really locked in and he's going up against the best center in the league. And to me, if we had Nurk, we're beating the Nuggets in five or six games. And we had three 17 point leads against the dubs. I mean, I would have loved to have, I think it goes seven, but I think we would have beat the Raptors if we had a healthy Nurkic. Like I have never seen CJ McCollum more locked in mm. than I have during that postseason. I mean, the, the Denver series was his series. OKC was Dame. Mm. Denver was CJ. He just had that shark mentality. He was rebounding. Yeah, the was, peripheral stats was the thing that just changed it. He was getting his shots off as he wanted. Playing the passing lane really well, too. I remember him getting steals. Absolutely. And that block. And the block on Paul George in game four when they were on a run and then the pull up three in the fourth quarter on that same possession was one of the most cold-blooded moments I've seen as a Blazer fan. Like, he is an absolute stud and you could really tell watching, you know, I watched them pretty consistently. So there weren't a lot of gaps in between the games. You could tell that Dame, I think physically started to, to break down a little bit. And obviously he then gets the rib injury against the Warriors, but in Denver, he had about three really solid games mm -hmm. and four subpar Dame games. And you're almost it's hard to remember that Nurk goes down and then CJ went down at the end of the regular season. And he really had to yep. carry us to a 10 and three record over those 13 games just to get us that three seed. And then he goes all out emotionally and physically and mentally against the thunder. 
And I just don't think he had enough left in the tank because of what he had to do to get us to that point. I mean, he was putting up James Harden type numbers in that uh, in in those ten games because who who was there to to handle the ball to be that secondary ball handler? It was all him. So it was like he was putting up like. I think it was like 35% of all the points and assists when he was in the game. Like he was doing it all for the Blazers just because Nurk was gone. CJ was gone. Like he, he, he put it all out there for those games for us to even be in a position for us to get the seed against the thunder. Like I think two off season moves that I severely underestimated their impact on the 2020 trailblazers one of them we controlled, the other one we had no control over. The latter was Seth Curry. We we knew we couldn't re-sign him. He was going to get a bigger deal than even the mid-level exception. The yeah, he got, he got paid in full. He got $8 million a year to go to Dallas. And watching that series, I, I think Terry Stotts probably should have given him even more minutes. I think we oh, were yeah. live... He was a great defender. Like that, like the game against OKC where uh, he did the wave, I said it in the crowd. I was like, oh, Seth is about to get a steal. And he did in a really timely manner, like under two minutes where he got a clutch steal. And like it was a momentum breaker. He step Seth, Seth, Seth is a very good, intelligent basketball player. And the fact the the fact that he got that eight mil just proves that people really love the way he provides intelligence and shooting. And, you know, the Mavericks were all about it, giving him such a big contract. I mean, not only was he a secondary ball handler, but you're right. His defense was vastly underappreciated mm-hmm. and under underrated. Uh, just watching him in that series, how he stays on his switches. He always keeps his head on a swivel. He rarely got beat. And he knew where to be on the floor on the offensive end. Yes, he was a secondary ball handler, but he also played so well without the ball. Mm-hmm, moved his really well. momentum threes, I forgot how much I missed those because he had – a few against the Thunder and even in game four against the Nuggets, we lost that game, but he had like four threes in a two minute span against Denver in that second quarter. And you could just feel the crowd rising. Like to me, some, some people like a flashy pass. Some people like a block or a big poster dunk. I don't think anything gets me more hyped than a momentum three that just, I mean, you, you can sense that like, you know, it's about to come and then it hits and you just feel that emotion And Seth brought that in spades. We knew we weren't going to be able to bring him back. We all saw the performance that Anthony Simons had against the the Kings to end the the regular season finale. And we thought he could replicate that. I think we probably fast-tracked Simons uh, a year too soon. Um, Offensively, he's been sporadic. And and defensively, I mean, it just hasn't, hasn't been up to NBA standards. And it's not his fault. He's young. He's not he young. Well, well, he's young and he was thrown into that position. But I, I even I think if you were to give Neil Olshay truth serum, he would say the same thing that they probably fast tracked Simons too much. They should have used one of their minimum contracts to get a true veteran backup point guard where you could bring Simons along slowly. Slowly. I mean, they just threw him out into the deep end and say, okay, you're gonna just replicate Singers that. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no such thing as a scouting report. And He's obviously talented, and I think it would be foolish just to give up on him. But I think that is a significant drop-off that mm. all of Rip City was willing to, to say, okay, like we've got Simons coming in for Curry. That's going to be, you know, that's that's good to go. That's one thing there. The other move that we had control over 
And I was 100% on board with this. After watching these games, I'm 100% against it. We let Al Farouk Aminu leave for three years, $27 million. I don't know if we offered him anything. I don't know if that could have been lowered in cost at all. But it was clear watching that series that Zach Collins is the power forward of the future and that he should be starting. But what Neil O'Shea failed to do was either A, bring back Aminu to come off the bench. And again, we don't know if those conversations happened. I mean, he's clearly a bench player in Orlando. So I would assume that he he was getting like 20 minutes until he got hurt. But he was never going to start. They had Aaron Gordon and John Isaac. Like he was never part uh, of that future. So I'm willing to go out on a limb and say he would have came off the bench in Portland. The defense that he brings, especially the length, the switchability, and his he had a lot of he swarmed Paul George. He made life really difficult for him. And we asked a lot of him in that Denver series. I, I think his role should have been reduced. And a lot of that was on Terry Stotts. We we all knew going into that series, Paul Millsap was going to get biz. And he mm. certainly did because that is a tough matchup. But when he was not on Millsap and maybe he could have came in and, and played against, a, you know, uh, one of their backups. Shit, who is that? Who was their backup? It wasn't Jeremy Grant. It was Trey Lyles. I and he, did, he didn't even play. So they were mm. going small when they took Millsap out. Mm. But Chief was a good option. He's a great compliment. He was a great complimentary player for the Blazers. It's just. I think we fucked up. And that was coming from someone who was not a big chief fan, but watching those games and then watching the Blazers without a viable power forward option this season, it, it's been a nightmare. Defensively, we have been a sieve, Sage. It, it has been arguably the worst defensive Blazer roster that I have ever, ever seen. In my 30 years as a fan, it has been. Well, we had Zach Collins for three games. It's like, damn. I think he would have he would have helped a lot. And obviously, you can't predict injuries like that. But if we had Chief, I don't think the drop off would have been as severe. And, but and it's, don't it, get it's me just, wrong. It, like, I think it was just a risk that just didn't pay off. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a risk that. But yeah, it's hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm fully admitting that I was on the wrong side of that back then. But after rewatching those, I think we put too much stock in the. So how much would you have paid? I would have been fine with, with the nine million twenty seven over three years. I mean, or, I think that's fair market value for a starting caliber power forward coming coming off the bench. And even if we had re-signed him and Zach Collins goes down, I I, I don't think we may be the eighth seed. Like, I don't think that impacts us too much in terms of the Aminu versus Mello, but mm-hmm. we should have had Zach and Aminu. Like there should have been some backup plan and they're a and legitimate there, backup. And there was, and Neil Olshay failed to address that in going after Anthony Tolliver, Pau Gasol. I mean, Mario Hazonia, those, those were not good options not for what we needed. We needed defense and we needed somebody who was able to hit an open shot. And unfortunately that, that didn't break our way. And, you know, you see Dame when he, when he takes over the, the Twitter account, man, I miss Mo and chief. I mean, I, I think the, the Blazers had to move Mo and Myers to get Hassan. And mm-hmm. I think they probably had to move Evan Turner to get Bazemore, which turned into a which is a better version of Harkless. So that one worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. 
but man, we, if we would have had a menu, um, obviously if Zach stays healthy and Rodney stays healthy, like that's starting to look like that squad. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think me and you and the, and the rest of really blazer mania was excited about this upcoming season was because of what we saw in those playoff games, specifically starting game six. That was one of my favorite games to go back. You know, game seven, we'll have the lore and the legend of, you know, clinching on the road, 17 point Mm. comeback, CJ doing what CJ does. But game six was one of the most enjoyable games because we just flat out took from them what they wanted. Mm. They, Came out, we're up by like nine points. I remember, you know, sitting in the arena thinking, oh, okay, our, our run's probably up. You know, it was, a, it was a good run. But then Terry Stotts adjusted. I think it was a, probably a little later than I would have liked, but he adjusted. He put Zach Collins in for more minutes. And Zach Collins went out and did some great weak side shot blocking. He was a beast. And then you've got Rodney Hood coming in, knocking down threes, not just not even off the spot, just pulling up from three, posting up, taking the ball in his hands with initiative, off the bounce. I mean, he is just dominating Will Barton, dominating Jamal Murray. Nobody could handle him in the post. He had a fantastic series. And you see that. And then you see what you get from Dame and what you get from CJ. And you're like, okay, I can start to see it now. Bring back Nurk. I mean, this looks like a finals contending team. Obviously, injuries take place and we don't make all of the right moves in the offseason. And you can see how quickly it crumbles. But that's where that hope came from was from those playoff Mm, performances. But if, if we turn the injury sliders off, I don't think we're complaining about the worst defense ever. I think we're talking about the seventh seed in the West. Like those injuries definitely killed us. And you can say like, we, 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 we adjusted for Nurkic's injury, but we didn't plan for Rodney hood and Zach Collins to get hurt relatively early and that's what killed us because you know we we kind we kind of saw the vision we saw the vision of what we were trying to do it's just what what we wanted really never lasted more than three games and i will say i was pretty harsh uh, on evan turner he played a really solid series yeah against, he, he, against he switched really well on to Millsap didn't he, he played fantastic so... defense against Millsap he didn't shoot the ball too much he didn't dribble too much he was actually a great hockey assist facilitator I mean he would mm-hmm. get the ball and just swing it and that that would lead to another swing like he played probably the best basketball that that I can remember and that's including Blazers, but... yeah that's including the triple doubles that he had he was really cerebral he is a big time defender and obviously a great locker room presence I still think that was the right call to move him. Uh, Bazemore mm-hmm. didn't work out, but again, I think Ariza is a better fit than both of those players probably combined. So mm. in the end, you, you get the guy that you want. Um, but, you know, I wanted to to give, you know, Evan, give Evan his shout out. You know, he played really well. And that team was just so fun. Um, it, there was a lot of versatility too. And deep. There's so much depth. You could go to Evan Turner if you need a, a, a secondary ball handler that can play defense against bigger guys. You can go Seth Curry if you need a secondary ball handler that can be more finesse and shoot. You can go Rodney Hood to bat, to bash, you know, smaller guards in the post. Like the wing depth was crazy. And talking like comparing it to the wing depth that we have now, it's like we're we're playing 15 year plus veterans at the small forwards 
And when he they come out, it's a you know a rookies. Yeah, it's a unknown commodity unless you really were into you know De'Aaron Fox and watched that uh, Kentucky team. Like the depth is a huge issue. And where do you think the Blazers? We'll go from here, Sage. Obviously, the season is still up in the air. I, yeah, I, don't, know, I don't know if they're going to play or not, but has your mind shifted at all for 2021 in terms of the outlook and how you want Neil O'Shea to, to add to this team? Well, I mean, we talked about it last podcast, which seems like forever ago. Like, are, are the, the, the projected... Uh, starting five has played like three minutes together. So you have to see what you have with this, this year. And if it doesn't work, you have to pivot fast. So that's kind of where I'm at with my, uh, what my Blazers outlook is. You got to see what you have with all five players playing together and then make that change. If it needs to be changed and yeah. do, do it like, no no halfway crooks about it you have to stand to one side or another it, it you we played the middle a lot in the last you know five years it has to be a, a you know you have to have a stand it has to be a stand of where you want to go is it get get a second star that's like legitimately an all-star or is it these five players that you know in theory would play so well together yeah, I think you're right. You know, Dame turns 30 in, in July, and I think that's really where the clock starts ticking, and you have to do whatever you can to get him get him help. Uh, yeah. I don't know how they would do a draft lottery. So if the season ended and they said we can't go on any further, Portland would be 14. I don't know if the odds change at all because, you know, we had – everybody had different schedules, so who knows how, how they would play out. So would we get the 14th odds, or would, would they do something different there? Who knows how it affects the salary? So much cap. logistics. So they're, many logistics. I mean, who what what do the Blazers do with their mid-level exception? Like, I'm honestly ready for for the season just to just to be canceled. Um, I, I would like to move forward and just start talking about the draft and free agency and maybe we can get something started in, in the fall or, or winter, whenever it is. But I, I don't know how much I really love the idea of Las Vegas being this bubble city where they go in and try and play games. It feels like a waste of equipment. Their time. Yeah. Well, it also feels like kind of risky too. Like you're, you're, you're not only the player. So the players get paid pr- pretty well. And I hate that it comes down to money and they're probably wanting to play. But then if you take, I don't know how they're, moving forward with it or planning it out. But the reports out of major league baseball was they wanted to do this in Arizona and they would take media and, you know, player or team staff. And then they would have to be really in the, either in the hotel or at the ballpark the for, for like four, four months straight. Like you're holding them hostage, like at least pay them better than what they're getting paid right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just don't know how, how that's going to work. Obviously this was a, a shit season for the Blazers. So I don't have the incentive of, of thinking that, you know, we were a title contending team and let's, let's go out and win it. Uh, so mm. for me, I'm just like, well, let's, yeah. let's ax this season and let's move forward. What, what about you? I mean, obviously with daily fantasy, I would, I would have liked to have the last 18 games in the playoffs to potentially make money. 
So it's it's like I I want it for financial reasons, but at the same time, it's like as a Blazers fan, you know, most likely it's going to be the Grizzlies or the Pelicans having the eighth spot. Yeah, and also how how are they going to determine the the playoffs? I mean, what what would they do? Are you are you playing seven game series? Like, what what is it? Um, you know, if if they could say that it's a completely a hundred percent safe, the CDC and World Health Organization sign off on it, and they're not taking equipment and, and tests away from those that need it. I, I don't know if any of those are, are all applicable, but that, then yeah, maybe you know I might sign off, and it would be good to see how the Blazers look with Zach and Nurk and, and Ariza. As our front front line, you know, as a preview for next year, um, and as a, a bona fide Laker hater, uh, I don't want to see the Lakers get a chance to win the championship either. So uh, there's a lot of mixed emotions uh, going on through for for me. It's just a it's just a logistical nightmare. It, to, yeah, exactly. Thirty teams, Sage. Thirty teams. Yeah. And then what are you gonna do? Are you gonna have like a playing game for the eighth spot, or are you gonna actually? force the Grizzlies, Pelicans, and Blazers to play those 16 games. And also think about what if one person just gets sick and then you're... Oh, everything's fucked. Everything is. So like the, the margin for error is so razor thin that I don't even think that margin for error exists. I feel like the NBA is going to wait to the last possible minute to make a, a, a decision because that's what's best for, you know them financially they don't want to cancel it because of all the other you know aspects of you know making money i mean it's a business so they're gonna wait you know you 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 see like festivals and conferences waiting till the last possible second to cancel there's a lot of money in the nba they don't want to cancel it until they absolutely have to so Dame took over the, the Twitter account for game five against OKC. And somebody asked him what his Mount Rushmore is uh, of the Trailblazers. He said, Phil, okay. Clyde himself and LaMarcus, you as a, a newer Blazer fan, who, who would your four be on there? Walton, Drexler, him. It's between LaMarcus, Moe, and Porter. I'd probably go Mo Lucas just because they got us one. Yeah. And that one might be subject to change, but like we have one in 77. Yeah. You probably should have the two best players that on that team. But, you know, Sheed, Sheed was a beast, but you got to look at the ultimate goal was winning a chip. Mo Lucas got us that. It's true. I fuck with Mo. Like he's the enforcer, man. Like he was so. He was skilled. He was tough. I mean, he was the perfect ying to Bill Walton's yang. So I, I would go Luke. What about you? I think that the three you mentioned are locks. Lillard, mm-hmm. Drexler, Walton, whatever order you want to put them in there, you, you could already start. The, the statue should already be out there for Clyde and Bill. Dames should be in construction at, at this moment. The fourth is the tricky one. So you could say... Mm-hmm. You could leave it open to anybody within the organization. And if that was the case, I would would go Sean's. I I think that's, you know, the mayor of Rip City. But if you're going players only, I would probably put the fourth in in this order. Terry Porter, he was the second best player during the Blazers' greatest stretch of basketball. Mm. Came back, was a member of the the community. Uh, Maurice Lucas would be my number two choice. Again, was the enforcer, got us over the top, got us a championship. 
also a member of, of the community, like a, a great role model, even came back as an assistant coach. He has a foundation that helps. Yeah. Currently, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's a monster. Like, like those, those two are clear. And I think a case could be made for a guy like Jerome Kersey or, or even Rashid Wallace, who was probably mm-hmm. the best player on those two thousands teams. Um, LaMarcus doesn't even register for me. Like he has the statistics, but the way it all went down when he left, yes, he has, yeah, he has every right in the world to leave. Like, but let's, let's make that crystal clear. That, that is his player right to leave. Yeah. He has the privilege to leave as he wants, but to me as a fan, he held us hostage for multiple years. He was always in trade rumors. The Blazers refused to trade him the year before after, after we beat the Rockets says, I want to be the best trailblazer possible, but I'm not going to sign your extension this year. I'm going to try and make the most of my free agency and get the most money, which was the smart financial thing to do. But what does he do? He leaves us high and dry. Uh, The Blazers only won one series. And that was the Houston series in 2014 in his nine year span. He kind of reminds me of Anthony Davis. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind like superiorly talented but didn't get you over the hump. He remind, yeah, he's kind of in the same vein as a Sharif Abdul-Rahim or a Timberwolves Kevin Love. Um, yeah, great statistical player. He came up big against the Rockets in games one and games two. But as I was, uh, I think I stated on Twitter, like I can't think of another like big LaMarcus moment. Like he just doesn't have those moments. Like Terry Porter scored 30 plus in game seven against the Spurs in the Western Conference semifinals. Like Maurice Lucas basically set the tone and changed the direction of the 77 finals by getting into it with Daryl Dawkins. And then the following game going over there and shaking his hand and basically getting the dude shook. I don't think Marcus has that sexy. I mean, he's just consistent. He doesn't have a sexy game, which it, it yeah, go ahead, go ahead, put him on an all time yeah. trailblazer team. That's fine. He, he, statistically he's earned it, but I mean, if the, we're talking about Rushmore, yeah, you got to do some shit to be one of the four yeah. best. Like you have to check off every single box, and every single box isn't. Checked he's a off. Fan, He's probably going to be a Hall of Fame player. Pro- probably, I know he's like a Hall of Famer in the same way Mitch Richmond's a Hall of Famer. Like, I, I guess, like statistically, yes. But when I think of the Hall of Fame player, like I'm looking at like Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan from the power forward position. Come on, man! Like eventually, but like no, you're right. He he is going to make it. Like yeah. on his statistics alone, you are 100 percent correct. I think if he stayed a blazer for for it, he probably he he is. But the the bad taste in the mouth, I I just think Mo Lucas is more deserving. Absolutely. I mean, you think if if Lamarcus stays, they may have won the title last year. I mean, you've got who, who knows? Like they're, they're but you, so then, many- if Lamarcus stayed, you don't know if we're making that trade for Nurk. We probably have Ronda Alice Jefferson instead of more uh Mason Plumley. It, it's it's true. So many, so many so uh, many what ifs, but but my overall sentiment is you still would have had your draft picks, you still would have had Damon CJ, you still would have had X, Y, and Z. So, you know, Neil O'Shea is is good at finding the use of Nurkic's uh, of the world. So I, I have no doubt that he would have Maybe we stole Robin Lopez. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, there's but, so many what. It, I mean, like if Wesley Matthews didn't. Exactly. Well, yeah. It's so we're it, playing a very dangerous, a what very if very dangerous. But that's what you do in quarantine time, Sage. You go down rabbit holes and you start to uh, think about what could have happened if he came to the Blazers in the off season. I know he has a year left on his deal. Portland swings the deal for him. What, what is it though? 
let's say it's Hassan and, and something. I, I I don't even know what it yeah, looks like. Because you got to think of the opportunity cost for me to really be speculating like speculating here. So yeah. just picture a, a starting lineup of Dame, CJ, Ariza, Slash Hood, Collins, and Aldridge. And you probably have four Aldridge and, and Nurkic. Wh- and whatever. then Nurkic plays it slow. Yeah, like, whatever. You have we those, slow play Nurkic. Those seven would are with, your rotation guys. I would I would fuck with it. So is that? I don't have the uh, animosity for Aldridge that some people rightly have. So I would welcome it. It's just, for me, it's opportunity costs. Like, what are we giving up yeah, for Lamarcus? I'm with you too. Like, I I can remove my emotions from a business decision. If the trade benefits the Blazers, yeah, welcome back, Lamarcus. We'll. We'll smooth things out, and especially if he's able to deliver, then you know you start those hard feelings. You know they start to go over your shoulder. Yeah, they and, dissipate. Yeah, you know you so, bury but the it's all, it, 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 For me, it's opportunity cost. What are we giving up to get Lamarcus? Is the thing. If it's something that I don't care about, awesome, let's do it. If it's trading Hassan, who probably wouldn't stay, fuck yeah, let's do it. If it's trading like something that I find more valuable than an older Lamarcus Aldridge, then no. So it's just opportunity. But hypothetically, if you had your top seven guys as Dame, CJ, Hood, Ariza, Aldridge, Nurkic, and Collins, what is that team to you? Is it first round, second round, finals, conference finals? Like, If it was that team, we need to find some guards. It. So if we put it together, I feel very good about going pretty deep in the playoffs. But it's about, you know, those those missing pieces we have a good core but it's about can't mess around with the mle and then the draft pick so that if we hit on those i feel really good but we have a very good core it's just yeah how do we how do we expand on it what are the missing pieces i think if with that team in particular you have to find a nuts guards i know anthony simons is there but we got to find you know what if hood isn't 100%. 100%. We got to find a, a guy to replace him for that year. I mean, how are their recoveries from their injuries? It's 2K and I can turn injuries off. I feel pretty damn good about it. We just need to find some guards and some... Because I feel like our 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 three-man rotation from big in the big perspective is the best in the NBA if everyone's healthy. I know, and that's so crazy because it was one of the worst right now. Yeah, currently. Um, so I mean, yeah, you're it, right. The, it's the, probably the worst. The front court would be banging. I mean, th- those yeah. three would be fantastic. If you're looking June of 2021, you know, if if they're peaking at that time, you know, I, I love that that roster. I, I'm 100% agreement with you. Like, I think you maybe even trade the pick in, in something and get a, get a veteran backup guard. You you find somebody in the middle mid level exception that could be a Seth Curry type of player who can shoot but can also handle the basketball. You find some defensive-minded players, and you probably you're probably two players away because you want to go nine to ten deep. And then you can do work the buyout market because people will absolutely want to, especially guards, would definitely want to be on that team. It's just, I think we'd be light in the ass when it comes to guards until the buyout market when a Reggie Jackson, for instance, comes on the market or, you know, whoever that, you know, backup point or that starting caliber point guard is on a shitty team comes and be your backup point guard or backup two, whatever, whatever the case may be. So if the season is canceled and you're, you're a fan of the NBA, objectively, 
Which team do you think is going to look back and say, what if the most, if the season is canceled and they're 20? I mean, LeBron James and the Lakers. You think it's the Lakers is number one? Because of LeBron James's, I mean, he's older. So I feel like him, any team that has a lot of veterans, I think is looking back on like, damn, I wish we could have finished this one out if it's canceled. So I think there's there's three arguments to be made. You hit the first one with the Lakers. You know, LeBron is going to be 36 in December. Anthony Davis is an unrestricted free agent. That are Those are two huge pieces. I would counter that by saying they're the Los Angeles Lakers, and even when they went six, seven years without making the playoffs, they were able to get LeBron James and Anthony Davis like that. They'll bounce back. They still have a legacy. I think the other two you look at are the Los Angeles Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Bucks. Milwaukee was on a 70-win pace, and they needed this playoff to not only go to the finals, but probably probably win it to prove to Giannis that you can get it done here. He is a free agent in 2021. So then you essentially remove a postseason where you could prove to your superstar player that you need to sign with us. I mean, this is a small market that has the best player in the entire league under their payroll. And they are in fear that he will leave for, for a bigger market. So that, that is huge. Milwaukee's probably my number one. Number two are the Clippers like Milwaukee. Their two stars are under contract uh, until 2021, or they have some sort of clauses where they could opt out in that free agency summer. And they completely unloaded the clip to get Paul George to pair with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they went all the way the fuck in Montrez Harrell's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, The Clippers could go from the hottest team in the league to the Clippers really overnight if if this season, if this should, yeah, yeah, if this doesn't work out, or if they don't get it done in 2021, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard really haven't shown too much, you know. And they don't play together, bro. They, they just don't. don't. I mean, because of Paul George's injuries, that's a very good point. Paul George has has a lot of injuries. You you don't know how much longer Kawhi Leonard can be at this peak. He'll still be a fantastic player, but peak Kawhi still probably to me the best player in the league. He showed that during the finals last year. So you've got a lot of teams that are going to be looking back at this season, like the Montreal Expos look back at the 1994 strike shortened baseball season. I mean, they were ready to dethrone the Atlanta Braves in the NL East and, and go to the World Series. I mean, look what happens. That, that never happens. They never pick up the pieces. And three, four years down the road, they, they've moved to Washington, D.C. Um, I'm not saying any of these teams are in, in fear of, of losing their franchise, but this, as as a fan of the Blazers, I can tell you, not getting the job done, not getting the job done can la- live with you for, for so much longer than the actual amount of game time. So Kawhi and Paul George have played 760 minutes together in this one year. Like, yeah, this this year is huge for them. They just don't have a big sample size of time together just because of the injuries and then the lack of playing back-to-backs. I'd be very scared if I was the Clippers. I would go Milwaukee, Clippers, Lakers. That That's my list. I mean, the Lakers also unloaded the clip to get AD, too. I don't know. It, it It's those three. It's obviously those three. It, yeah. The only reason I put the Lakers down there is because they're the Lakers. They'll they'll figure some shit out. I mean, they always do. 
I mean, if, if it's not signing Shaq in 96 or trading Vlade for Kobe or getting Phil Jackson just as he coincidentally enough happened to leave the, the Chicago Bulls, like getting Pau Gasol out of thin air for at the time, nothing. Yeah, I mean, it just they you can't keep that franchise down too long as much as it pains me to say. So they'll find a way back. Now the Clippers and Bucks, those are franchises that haven't really seen a lot of success recently. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Milwaukee, they are not a, a destination. Uh, the Clippers may be under Jerry West. They're going to get that new arena out in Inglewood where the forum used to be. They've got an enthusiastic owner. It's going to be longer for them if this doesn't work out because they gave up so much. So many assets. As a dark horse, which I, I wouldn't put in the top three, but I think number four, probably the Houston Rockets. Um, that is a franchise that has continuously tried to make this the small ball work, James Harden, ISO heavy. And how do you feel about the Rockets in terms of taking risks? I mean, because they obviously took some humongous risks. Like, you know, some people talk shit and say, like, they're – being stupid but i mean i I would be one i would absolutely be one of those people i i think they take unnecessary risks i think daryl morey panics i know he gets a lot of credit for being a creative gm but i think he panics uh point i mean you can you can just go down down the list the first one was chris paul was unrestricted he was going to opt out and he was going to sign with the rockets yes he did i i think the 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 quote-unquote nice thing and told the clippers ahead of time but that cost his new franchise, the Houston Rockets, look back, look back at what they gave up. Not just Patrick Beverly. They gave up Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and Montrez Harrell. Ooh. Those three are better than Chris Paul ever was for the Houston Rockets. They could have found other ways, or they could have just said, Chris, you're either coming here or we're not going to trade for you. Like they're 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 a destination. They mm. they could have brought somebody else in. And then you look at the Rockets where they just pulled the plug on, on Paul. And then they go and just trade multiple picks for Russell Westbrook, who, again, that's not a good fit. I mean, you've seen how good Chris Paul was playing this year, and you you traded for a worse contract. Like I, I think Daryl Moore is on this. Like, who's the best free agent? Let's get him. That's yeah. his, that's a strategy. Who's the best? Who's the best? Okay, it's he, Chris Paul this year. Let's get him. He reminds me of a, a of a watered down version of Trader Bob. Trader Bob Witsit with the Blazers would make some moves where you were just like, yes, that is amazing. How did you get us Rasheed Wallace for Rod Strickland? How did you get Steve Smith for J.R. Ryder and Jimmy Jackson? Like fantastic moves. Scotty Pippen for a bunch of six no names. And then as soon as something doesn't work, he has no patience and he blows up the roster. That's what Daryl Morey does. Mm. And I think it's completely idiotic that he actually thought that starting five players under six, seven would be able to last an NBA season. I mean, just absolute lunacy from, from Daryl Morey. I'm waiting for him to sign somebody, some big, I, I think they're there. The, the rocket style is so high variance, man. If you're shoot, if you're hitting, you're going to win this game. If you guys are hitting a good percentage from the three, you're winning this game and you can be anybody. They can be anybody if they're on fire. What about when they fucking fall and it plateaus and hits the ground? You're losing to the Charlotte Hornets. Their, their, their style of play is so incredibly high risk. I mean, we game seven. We saw, what, they missed 23 straight threes? Yeah, like. 
his style will never prevail and they're going to get rid of Mike D'Antoni and he probably wants that, that split as well. I think we have seen the best of what the Houston Rockets have to offer. And I think they're going to be a lottery bound team sooner than, than later. I, I, I do like the fact that they take risks. I think that a lot of people will sit on that edge and not take a stand. I, so I commend them for doing that, but there's some of them are just unnecessary risks. I just hate, I hate their style of play. I think they're ruining the game of basketball. Um, so I, I'm thankful that they're not succeeding because I, I don't want teams to get this idea in their head that, oh, this type of basketball works. Like I, I could not imagine being a fan of current Houston Rockets basketball. I think I would gouge my eyes out. I probably watch more Rockets than 80% of teams just because of the production that James and Russ did get. But do, but you, that's- do you find it enjoyable though? It is what it is. I don't I don't find it unenjoyable. It is what it is. They they made a stand on their scheme and they're sticking to it. I don't, you know. I usually have James Harden, bro. So it's like I only have their best players, so it's like, fuck yeah, he's getting the foul line. He's getting two points. This is good for me. Uh, I'm not I'm not watching as a fan of the game. I'm watching for a fan of my 150 lineups. If, but if you were watching just for a basketball perspective, I don't do that except for the Pelicans and Blazers. So it's like, so it's it's like we're talking from a a point of view that I just don't have for other. I watch a, a lot of basketball, but it's for selfish reasons. Like, and I know Andre Drummond is gonna kill Miles Turner. I'm watching this shitty Cavs uh, Pacers game. It's just for if I didn't have daily fantasy, I wouldn't be as good of a host or as a as a as knowledgeable as I am. So it's like I'll watch the Rockets, but it's for the wrong reasons. As instead of like I, you know, it's a five out scheme. I know that. I know it's perfect for Russell Westbrook because he drives twenty four times a game. But it's not like I, I. I just care about the production. I don't care about you know the the anything else except for the production. So clearly we've been missing sports quite, quite a bit. Um, for me personally, I was pretty bummed. The NCA men's and women's tournaments got canceled. I had tickets to see the ducks in the Did you get reimbursed, got reimbursed, which was nice. But I mean, the ducks were probably going to win the national championship that the men had the best point guard in America and probably could have made a deep run. Uh, so that was a bit of a bummer, but from the, the men's side, Sage, we saw some some pretty big news over, over the week when the number two overall prospect in high school, Jalen Green, is bypassing college, saying no thank you to international money, and, and staying locally, going to play for a select G League team for an, an elite level contract for, for a year before going into the pros. There's already been discussions about the CBA where they're going to allow high school players to enter into the draft, I think in 2022. But Sage, how do you think this impacts college basketball? Like, is it, is it going to be the, the end all be all? I, I have my doubts, but I think those could be, those could change if Jalen Green lives up to the hype only because we haven't seen a, a player go a different route than NCAA basketball and really make a splash. You look at Brandon Jennings, uh, Darius Baisley, Anthony Simons, RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball. 
none of those players really set the the world on fire before coming into the league. And Anthony had his moments. Brandon Jennings had his moments as well. But there hasn't really been a bona fide star. And it might be Lamelo. Um, but it, now, if Jalen Green lives up to this hype and like people start to see this path, but but right now, like March Madness still does money. And in the case of a guy like Zion Williamson, it can really boost your stock going to college. So do you think this is a a death death sentence for the NCAA or just a different, maybe an outlier? It's based on the success of these other athletes doing, doing these uh, things. Like Emmanuel Moutier did the same thing. He went to China. Like... But Emmanuel Moutier is on the, the the jazz, I assume, like, and not getting any minutes. So there needs to be a smash hit before I think it becomes a very viable strategy. And I think even there is some prestige of going to Duke, going to Kentucky. So there's always going to be those players that find that is a very enti- enticing thing for them to do. It, but I think it's all based on how well this this experiment goes, and it, it's player by player too. You know, you got to you got to think like. I mean, we you talked about Zion; he was the number two prospect in this in, in this draft class. I think now, when you really, th- yeah, yeah. So it's like if if Zion wasn't the first overall picked and the Pelicans picked RJ Barrett, I'd be fucking furious. So there is, there's, you know, like. Yes. So that, that adds another layer to it. So when you're drafting a kid out of high school, like you have to really project, you can't see how good they are going to be now. So that's where the NCAA to me, I, I think they need to pay the players first and foremost. I, you know, they're basically getting away with, with free labor, but it can make or break you. Look, you look at a guy like Obi Toppin for Dayton has them at their best season probably ever. Nobody really knows about him coming into this year. Now he's a bona fide top 10 pick. I mean, those type of stories aren't going away. Even the best teams this year weren't littered with NBA prospects and people still would have tuned in to watch it because it's March Madness. Do I think the NCAA has to worry five to 10 years from now? Yes. You know, I do think they need to probably change their rules to more tightly reflect the, the National Basketball Association. I do think there is have to be some form of compensation. You can't have you can you can survive with a handful of top five prospects leaving, but once you start seeing the the four stars and, and the top fifty prospects bolting to the draft or the G League, I mean the talent level at a certain point is going to get watered down. And just because the top prospects in the NBA draft weren't on winning teams this year, that doesn't necessarily mean that the basketball was superb to watch. I mean there were a lot of rough games that, that I watched for at, at the men's level. So the NCA is going to have to kind of figure this out. I don't think the Jalen Green decision in a nutshell by itself is the death warrant, but I do think it does start to open the floodgates. And especially once you get those high schoolers eligible to be drafted right out. I mean, that's that, I think that's where it should go, but man, I mean, that's, that's risky because like you said, the Pelicans get the number one pick and it's just high school. Barrett. Yeah. Well, like, where did RJ go to high school? I don't remember. 
Canada? Okay, so let's just say Toronto because that's a big city. Zion went to school in like Carolina. Yeah, like he played against kids and was a man. You didn't know how good he was because he the level of competition. So he didn't have that level of competition that let's just say RJ Barrett did. So you would assume RJ Barrett's better. RJ Barrett is better, but then when you put them on the same team at Duke, you see one is far superior than the other. No offense to any RJ Barrett heads, but I think Zion is superior. And like, so there, it, like, you got to be so careful in scouting. Like that, those scouts better be pay, getting paid a lot more money going from going from just watching college and international to watching high school ball as well like that 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 double draft is gonna be that's gonna be stressful on these gms and scouts man i was planning on watching a lot of march madness to get more familiar with these prospects do you think that without march madness the scouting is going to be lesser than it would be with there isn't going to be those cinderella players that were like a myers leonard for instance was unknown and then became known do you think there's those type of players that will you know be part of the 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 draft or that won't be part of the draft because march madness isn't happening yeah so two questions so to answer the question about players being known or unknown i think it will impact some i mean you get a guy like bryce drew who hit that shot for valparaiso what in like 97 Mm. and he became a first round draft pick when he probably had no business being a first round draft pick i mean you you get those cinderella stories like that and players boost their their stock gordon hayward was a classic example you know taking butler to -to back-to-back games and becoming a lottery pick i think not having march madness actually will help Mm -hmm. the scouts because you you really remove the emotion of falling in love with a prospect tyrus thomas is a classic example of a dude who rose through the draft boards through his march madness run and it was just a march madness run he had he had a great performance his game didn't ever translate to the pro game and you have a guy like a brandon roy who really started to come together his senior year and was putting together nice performances. And he had a pretty solid March Madness, but that didn't really impact him. Like they want to look at his years and progressions as a body of work. And I think that's where scouts are going to go back to say, how did this player, you know, not only transform his game from freshman to senior or freshman to sophomore, whatever, but from start to finish, what, where's the progression? And they're not using, March Madness as a deciding factor. If you used March Madness as a deciding factor, you may have passed on a guy like James Harden who had a really rough outing against Arizona State and or with Arizona State, excuse mm-hmm. me. And for some of these players, they only get one 40-minute game in March Madness and then and then they lose. Uh, and you really want to punish a player for for that. Um, I, I you know, Kevin Durant didn't have a great March Madness performance either. You know, he I think he lost in the first round as a pretty heavily seeded guy. Um, you know, there are players that transcend this, you know, Melo. We knew Mello was good in high school. He went to Syracuse. He was good there. He led them to a national championship. You know what you're getting from a Carmelo Anthony. There's not a Carmelo Anthony in this draft. Um, And I I think the scouts are then going to just be a little bit more objective. And I think less emotion will be used when, when, when looking at him. And I think you also remove a very key factor, which is recency bias. 
it happens to every one of us, whether you're interviewing somebody for a job or whether you're interviewing somebody to be part of your basketball team, the last person you usually see is the lasting image that you have and it influences your decisions subconsciously. So removing that element, you might get more detailed level-headed decisions out out of these GMs. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Do you have like a top three, top five of players you want the Blazers to get? Or if they win the lottery, who's your number one guy? Uh, I mean, if, if I, I think right now I want them to trade the pick. If they win the lottery, trade the pick for an even better player. Um, if they kept the pick, I, I like Okoro from, from Auburn. I think he's a, a defensive-minded wing, a real energy player. Um, I like the player from USC. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm just going to call him Double O. Um, he, I think, probably might have the biggest potential uh, out of this draft class. But yeah, outside of outside of those two, like I, I really want just a defensive minded player. Um, I think that's what what we lack. I, I think Anthony Edwards is my favorite. I don't know if the Blazers are the right team, but he, I think he is the most talented. Yeah, and, he, and even then, I, I don't even know what his ceiling is. Like, is I mean, people are calling this a, an extremely weak draft. Um, some sometimes they're right, like in two thousand, and sometimes they're wrong, like in twenty thirteen. So. It's 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 all a crapshoot. I, I do like Obi Toppin um, from Dayton. I think he's going to be a, a really strong player. I would even roll the dice on the guy like Lamelo Ball, six um, six guard with vision and the ability to shoot. Um, those those players. I like RJ Hampton. I mean, too. there's just a, there's a lot of prospects. Uh, even Isaiah Stewart. He's a six nine, probably two fifty power forward. If he can extend his range, he, he'll he'll make a living for himself in, in the league. Right now, he's projected twenty to twenty five, but he was a really big producer for you know a bad Washington team, but if he can extend the range, he's got the body, he's got the physique. I mean, he's everything you'd want in a, in a power forward. But in today's NBA, you have to be able to play a little bit further away from the basket. You know, just unfortunately, the the guys like a Zach Collins, there's only a couple of those in this draft, maybe only one. Um, you know, you really want somebody who can switch, who can hit the shots, who has size, who can rebound. Um, we have shooters. You know, we, we know that. We don't need another offensive weapon. So um, obviously you take best player available, but at, at the same time, you, you really want to find guys who are going to start to fit and can contribute. I am not high on Cole Anthony. I, I think he reminds me too much of, of Jared Bayless. And he does. But at the same time, you you know the pedigree. He the thing I like about him is when he the shot isn't falling, he produces in other ways. I feel like the point guards in this draft, if a team needed one, which I don't know who needs one anymore because there's so many good ones, there's some prospects that intrigue me. Like RJ Hampton's speed is next level. Like if he can get on a, the right team that could utilize that, that'd be that'd be awesome for him. But we don't really, I mean, best player available, but we don't really need a point guard, do we? I, mean, I, I, you know, I take the best player available. You know, a guy, if I think he's going to rise higher, Tankathon has him 27 right now, but you look at a sophomore uh, power forward from Maryland, Jalen Smith, um, 6'10, 225. He extended his range. He used his sophomore year to extend his range um, out to the three point line. I mean, that, that could be a type of a modern NBA big that, that you're, that you're looking for. But at the end of the day, I wholeheartedly believe the Blazers will look to move this 
pick, maybe along with a contract to enhance their roster. Again, it all comes down to value. A lot of GMs know this isn't probably a strong draft, so you don't just want to give away that pick. You might find gold, but but you might not. It's, it's, it's a lot of luck involved in finding a gem. There's a narrative about Neil O'Shea where he can actually find gold out of, out of sand from a sandbox, you know? So I, I, I think we'll trade the pick, but if we don't, we re- replenish the war chest of young talent, which I'm not mad at. But if I, if like I was a betting man, we trade whatever pick we get. It's all about winning for Dame winning now i don't care about the future especially with this coronavirus i'm taking this shit day by day so um sage i hope you are staying safe staying sane uh i am looking for what are you looking forward to i'll start i'm looking forward to the WNBA draft tonight at four um sabrina satu ruthie uh the ladies minyoung moore gonna get drafted super high I'm really stoked that Sabrina is going to probably be playing in Brooklyn. Um, the jerseys are pretty fresh, so I might have to cop one. Um, and I'm also excited about watching the documentary on ESPN, The Last Dance on Sunday. Uh, what are you looking? What, what's what's keeping you afloat, my man? Oh, playing NBA 2K every day. Um, playing League of Legends DFS. It's just good to be able to research something. During the NBA season, I'll probably research shit for five hours a day, so there's some normalcy of like learning a new sport. I want I, I want to watch baseball. I would assume that baseball is gonna happen, so I'm excited about that. And I've been playing the show. I've been playing a fuck ton of video games. I need to stream more, but yeah, research and uh, and, and playing 2K has been my my shit. All right, bud, let uh, let our listeners know where they can find us and let, let's wrap this uh, quarantine edition of the Holy Backboard up. We'll be back eventually. You know, people, people, people need the content. People need something to listen to when they're, when they're chilling at home. So we'll definitely be providing some more content. Uh, you can find us at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcasts, and uh leave us a nice review and a five and five star rating we've been we're we're here for you we're here uh at our houses trying to uh survive so you know come come tell a friend to tell a friend about us you know we we do we we try and provide something new uh each episode that uh you can learn from so check us out all right later bud Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.